0: Ernest Hemingway observed, the most complicated subject that I know, since I'm a man, is a man's life. From Wyoming Catholic College, this is Dr. Jim Tonkowicz, and you're listening to the After Dinner Scholar Podcast. Lives may be a complicated subject, but it is from the study of the lives of men and women of the past, or even of the present, that we learn and we grow. We see vice and virtue, and the end result of each. We learn of honor and dishonor, sacrifice and selfishness, self-discipline and dissipation. Lives serve as inspiration for noble deeds and warnings against ignoble lives. In the second half of the first century AD, the Greek Platonist and priest of Apollo at Delphi, Plutarch, understood the project of instruction by writing the lives of the great Romans and the Greeks. Quote, my design is not to write histories, Plutarch tells us, but lives, then he goes on. And the most glorious exploits do not always furnish us with the clearest discoveries of virtue or vice in men. Sometimes a matter of less moment, an expression or a jest informs us better of their character and inclinations than the most famous sieges and greatest armaments," Close quote. Dr. Tiffany Schubert has been reading Plutarch's lives with our sophomores, and I asked her to tell us a little bit about Plutarch and his book before moving on to the lives of Tiberius and Caius Gracchus.
1: So Plutarch is a Greek author. Uh lives around 46 A.D. to 119 A.D., uh, rough, roughly speaking. Uh, he's born into a politically prominent family, uh, kind of politically active himself. He's also a philosopher and a historian, and he travels to, uh, to, to Rome and actually is a, is a Roman citizen. Well, the most, the most famous work that we have from Plutarch is his parallel lives, and they're parallel lives of great Romans and great Greeks. And he calls them lives. He says, uh, he says, I'm writing lives, not history, because he's not trying to give us an account of every major military or political act that, that these figures uh, participate in, but he's trying to get into their souls. He wants to understand uh, the souls of, of these great Greeks and these great Romans, uh, kind of... A moral philosophy through looking at historical figures.
0: And why is lives part of the curriculum here at Wyoming Catholic? Uh,
1: so we read Plutarch in uh, Humanities 201, which is a course in which we focus in on, on Rome. And Plutarch gives us some of really most intimate insights into major Roman figures. Uh, we also read him I think in, in our earlier semesters as well. Uh, but he... He helps us see okay, figures like the Gracchi, or Cicero, or Cato, or Caesar, as really rich, nuanced, complex uh, human beings. Okay? Yeah, he's, in, he's, he's trying to get into their interiority, trying to get into their souls.
0: Okay, well, two of the lives he writes about are the two brothers, Tiberius and Caius Gracchus. Uh, first off, who were they? What was their background? Uh, when, when did they live?
1: Uh, so the Gracchi brothers are actually from an incredibly politically connected family in Rome. They are uh, the sons of Cornelia Africana, who is the daughter of Scipio Africanus, who is the great hero of the Second Punic War, really one of Rome's most famous generals. He's the one who who finally defeats Hannibal. Okay. Uh, and their their father, uh, who was also named Tiberius, is also a uh, great a very uh, well-respected Roman uh, figure. Um, so, so they come from this really important family. They're living, said, um, kind of through the Third Punic War, which is when Carthage is just utterly and completely totally destroyed, uh, and, then, and then after that. So we're talking for Tiberius, 163 to 133 B.C., and for Gaius, 154 to 121 B.C., they're they're living after Rome has defeated her greatest enemy.
0: Now both of them became politicians in Rome. Always a risky business. And rather than being consuls, they were tribunes. What's the difference? What did they do as tribunes? Well, let's start with Tiberius.
1: Uh, so the consul is the is an older is the older office. Right. This is the office that's formed after, after the Romans uh, get rid of kings and they establish a consulship, which is two men who share power for for a year. They're elected officials, and this is how the Roman, the Roman Republic begins. But as the Republic progresses, there's unsurprisingly tension between uh, those who are in power, we call them the the patricians, and those who are not in power, the Plebeians. And at one point, the Plebeians actually secede. They leave leave the city. Uh, And fortunately, this political tension doesn't turn into political violence. And out of the negotiations that take place, the Tribune of the Plebs is this office that's created, and and basically it gives the the plebeians a voice in the Roman government. Uh, the Tribune has the power of veto; he can he can veto a consul's judgment or decision. He's the voice of the people, uh, and the the Gracchi brothers are actually plebeian. Father is a plebeian. Uh, so they're not from a patrician family. And so they feel connected to the people of, of Rome. All, despite the fact that they are, as I said, from, from an incredibly important family themselves. They are they are actually plebeians. So they they choose the, the the office of the tribune of the plebs. And the tribune of the plebs, I um, should add to you that it's it's sacrosanct, which means you can't physically touch even a uh, tribune of a pleb within the city uh, of Rome, which is going to become very important for the way that uh, Tiberius acts. Right? So Tiberius becomes tribune of the pleb, the tribune of the plebs, and one of the, one of the laws that he proposes is agrarian reform. Rome is going through a, a land crisis. You have, as a result of the Third Punic War and actually the defeat of, of Greece, uh, Rome has suddenly all of this land, all these slaves, and what's happening is that the wealthy people, a lot of the people in the center becoming much wealthier, sort of gobbling up all this land, and the poor people are losing their land. So we've got a land crisis. So Tiberius proposes this law that would uh, limit the amount of land that people are allowed to own, and in fact actually would take land from the wealthy and, and, and give it to the poor. He is opposed by a fellow tribune uh, who vetoes Tiberius's law. And so Tiberius's solution after he's trying to get his fellow tribune to to relinquish his veto, uh, but he he refuses. And so uh, Tiberius's solution is to actually depose his fellow tribune. He calls a vote, has the the people of Rome uh, vote, and they, they vote. Tribune out of office. This is an utterly unprecedented event. Uh, he's he also has uh, one of his servants remove the Tribune right, from the Forum. Uh, he play He lays hands on the Tribune. So, so Tiberius violates these sacrosanct right, laws and customs that have been a part of the Roman Republic right, since the beginning stages. Right? So, in an, in, an, in an effort to establish some kind of justice, or some kind of concern for, for the poor, Tiberius is is willing to violate political norms.
0: Well, this whole land reform thing, we read uh, Livy in the curriculum as well, and this has been going on for centuries. This is not new, a new political problem.
1: That's right. No, it's not. Uh, no. Um, it's, even before Tiberius, we've got... Uh, some like sumptuary laws which are trying to yeah, right, eliminate the amount of money that people have, the amount of land that they that they acquire. Right? There's this, yeah, there's this sense that Rome in right, um, its origins and when Rome is functioning at its best, it's a a republic of citizen farmers who who fight. Right? That, that's what it is to be a good Roman, that you you have your farm and you fight when you're called to do so. But that ideal was becoming weaker and weaker, and Tiberius, of course, was, was seeing that, traveling around right, the Italian countryside, and, and seeing the fact that you have of these poor, landless Romans. So in some ways, Tiberius, despite his radical steps uh, that, he, that he takes as, as tribune, he's actually trying to... Return Rome to its origins in mean, some There's something kind of conservative about his about his political ambitions. And he wants he wants to make possible this Roman ideal of the citizen farmer.
0: And it does not end well with
1: him. It does not. Uh, no, the Senate, the wealthy landowners are not, uh, as it turns out, especially excited about returning to a kind of ancient Roman austerity. Uh, in, in in which luxury right and a high life is right is disdained they want to hold on to their to their wealth and to their power and to to the degree that they they actually uh initiate violence against Tiberius he is as he's uh Going standing for election for Tribune uh, for a second time, a mob uh, from the Senate comes and attacks him, and he's killed inside the city. His body is discarded uh, into the the Tiber River. An utterly astounding act, because we have political violence um, taking place inside the city, uh, right? And in the Roman understanding, he, there's a the Pomerium, right, is the sacred boundary of the city, and right, violence is is for outside the city, for free yeah. enemies. With inside the city, hey, this is this is the place, right, where your political persuasion takes place. But we have violence coming in, right? and Tiberius right? being violently murdered in public uh, by by his fellow Romans.
0: By patricians on top by, of it.
1: By patricians, yeah, yeah that's right. Um, I think actually the mob was even, was led by his cousin. Right, uh, so it's deeply, yeah, a, a deeply personal act here.
0: Okay, now after watching his brother's life and untimely demise, uh, Plutarch tells us that Caius seems to be settling down for a quiet private life. Uh, Though Plutarch's description of his personality make that seem a little doubtful, but in any case, then Caius has a dream. Tell us about the dream and how he's brought back into public life.
1: His brother Tiberius appears to him in a dream, uh, so he has it seems like familial pressure, maybe even a kind of divine pressure. Romans tend to tend to think of dreams as being messages from the gods. Right? Uh, so he also stands for tribune uh, for the plebs. Uh, as as well, and he has even more radical reforms than than his brother does. Uh, he he also takes up this issue of land. Uh, he he wants to raise the age requirement for the army to seventeen years old right, to prevent really really young kids from joining the army. He wants the soldiers to be clothed at the public expense, which seems fairly innocuous to us, but it was sort of radical uh, at the time. He wants uh, judges to not just be from the patrician families, um, but from the equestrian families. Gaius is right; some, something of, of a demagogue. He speaks directly to the people. He mingles with the people. Um, one of the big changes that he makes that Plutarch draws our attention to is the fact that uh, traditionally anybody who spoke right, in a public assembly and in Rome would stand towards the Senate. Facing, hmm. facing them, uh, Gaius turns towards the people, and I think as Americans would we think, well, uh, but of course, of course, you would ad- address the people. But for Rome, this is just uh, an incredibly radical step, um, right, away from their political traditions.
0: And his life also ends unhappily and early.
1: Uh, yes, it does. Oh, the Senate is also not a fan of of his reforms, and in fact, uh, the Senate actually discusses killing Gaius right within within the Senate itself. Right? So yeah, this is just to be an absolutely extraordinary moment in Roman history where you have the use of violence say, in in domestic disputes. Right? So one of A consul's attendant is killed by one of Gaius's followers, and this becomes justification for the Senate to take up arms uh, against Gaius and his followers. And so they come armed into into the city, they're attacking his followers, coming after Gaius himself. Seems like probably actually Gaius uh, committed suicide rather than actually be killed by, by members of the Senate, but he too uh, ends his life ignobly, like his brother.
0: Now, after he's dead, they put up statues to the two of them, extolling all their virtues. Plutarch writes, not even their bitterest enemies could deny that they were the most virtuous of all Romans, or that they were excellently well-nurtured and educated. What, what is going on with that?
1: Uh, yeah. Well, we we learn, of course, that it's the people of Rome who have put up their statues, not not the Senate, not the not the patricians. Uh, but part of what's going on there, right, is that actually the the people of Rome have an extraordinary amount of power, and and this is what has really allowed the Greco brothers to become as powerful as, as they did. Or I mean, they, they, they realize the potential power of the office, of the tribune, and the potential power that the Roman people have. And there are moments that uh, we get this in, in Plutarch, in other lives, that the Senate's actually afraid of the people, okay? The people have an extraordinary uh, amount of power to, to such a degree that the Senate does not actually repeal the, the laws that the Gracchi brothers pass right, because they're so popular. Uh, so it's, it, it, it's, it is it's a very strange time in Rome. The Senate is acting like it's right, this despotic tyrant, uh, right, killing, killing tribunes. And yet on the other hand, you actually have the people of Rome with an incredible amount of power. These, the two factions are no longer functioning together right, as, as, a, as a coherent political whole. So you you have yeah these these statues put up by the people and tolerated by by the Senate. You actually even have, have uh, one of the consuls, who the consul who is pushing for Gaius's murder really builds a temple to Concord after all of this, and, you know, in a way to sort of celebrate the Concord that Rome has arrived at now that the the Gracchi are dead. Uh, it's of course. Um, just another farce, the fake of Rome. news. Fake news. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Utterly fake news. The people of Rome see see right through it. It's just. It's worth pointing out that these these factions here, right, the Senate and the people, like the patricians and and the plebs, these factions are only going to grow right, in their in their divisiveness more and more, and they're going to become eventually breaking out into civil war with Roman generals like Marius and Sulla, and and also. Of course, we're going to get to right, the civil wars of Julius Caesar and, um, and Octavian himself. Right? So we're seeing in the Gracchi these very fairly early stages of political right, seams are coming apart. Hmm.
0: How do our students respond to these stories?
1: They, they loved the Gracchi. Uh, There's they, something about right, Tiberius and, and Gaius that speak to the American soul. They're concerned with with the people, right, with justice for, uh, for 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 Roman citizens, trying to right, oppose the tyranny of the Senate. But they're also a really good opportunity to reflect on the noble means, but radical, radical ends. Tiberius and Gaius right, are, are willing to, they violate political and social norms and customs. And that's a tough, Moral position right there's a there's a lot of ambiguity there right if you have you have this vision of restoring Roman farmer citizen but you violate the sacrosanctity of the office of the tribune you want to strengthen right political political order political harmony and yet the actions that you take are setting precedents that others will use for far more nefarious purposes. So there's this kind of mixed legacy of the the Gracchi. So they're really uh, deep figures for students to to contemplate, and they love them.
0: In the September 25th Wall Street Journal, columnist Andy Kessler wrote, quote, The unemployment rate was 3.5% in July, the same as in February 2020, But the U.S. has 3 million fewer workers. Where did everybody go? This is an economy with 11.2 million job openings. It's mostly men 25 to 54 who haven't come back to work. Now, a McKinsey study suggests that 40% of workers are thinking about quitting their jobs. Does anyone want to work anymore? Close quote. Or to ask a similar question, what happened to virtue, the kind of virtue we see in Tiberius and Caius Gracchus, the virtue that leaves the quiet, stay at home, enjoy yourself life for war, for public service, and in both cases, possible death, because it's the right thing to do. By assigning Plutarch, as well as the rest of our curriculum here at Wyoming Catholic College, we have as a goal the encouragement of virtue in our students. Virtue that is so desperately needed in our country, in our world, and in our church. For Wyoming Catholic College, this is Dr. Jim Tonkovich.